I have probably read this morning's Torah portion dozens of times. When I was bored during Yom Kippur services as a teenager, when I was discovering the magic of Jewish studies in college, when I was learning high holiday liturgy in Israel during rabbinical school. But this year was different. This year, the metaphors leapt off the page and demanded my attention in a way that they never had before. Listen to the words again of Deuteronomy 30, which we just chanted. For this command which I charge you today, it is not too wondrous for you, nor is it too distant. It is not in the heavens to say, who will go for us to the heavens and take it for us and let us hear it? that we may do it. And it is not beyond the sea to say, who will cross over for us beyond the sea and take it and teach it to us that we may do it. But the word is very close to you, in your mouth and in your heart to do it. These are very personal images. Torah is close to us both physically and emotionally, in our mouths and in our hearts. God's word, God's wisdom, what we received at Sinai, is the intimate personal property of every single person. Robert Alter, a professor at Berkeley, helped give this passage even greater meaning by contextualizing it. Alter explains that during the time of Deuteronomy, surrounding cultures had a mythological notion of the secret wisdom of the gods. Their pagan ethics had a, epics had a daring hero, like the ones that we have to read about in high school, a Gilgamesh or an Odysseus, who embarked on a long journey, very perilous, crossing seas or climbing up to the heavens, to bring back the secret of immortality. But Judaism rejected that idea. We should not ask, who's going to go far away and bring wisdom back and tell us what to do? Because sacred knowledge for Jews is not concealed and esoteric, revealed and reserved only for heroes. Rather, Deuteronomy wanted to make Torah transparent. It is not in heaven, it is not beyond the sea, but in your mouth and in your heart. This concept was revolutionary at the time of the Torah. In Judaism, we are our own heroes. Torah belongs to each of us. It is accessible to every man and every woman in Israel. This notion of an accessible Torah for each of us sparked the memory of one of my favorite Talmudic stories. There once was a group of rabbis debating the ritual status of a particular type of oven. They all agreed that the oven is impure, it's not kosher, except for one, Rabbi Eliezer. Eliezer is so sure that he is right 
that he performs a series of miracles to convince his colleagues to agree with him. He makes a tree unroot itself and move a few feet away. Then he makes water flow the wrong way up a canal. And he makes the walls of the study hall literally fall half down. But despite all of these efforts, the other rabbis are unconvinced. The oven is still not kosher. So finally, Rabbi Eliezer has a bat kol, a heavenly voice, come down from heaven and proclaim, the law follows Rabbi Eliezer. Why are you even arguing with him? But even with a heavenly voice, the other rabbis don't even flinch. We no longer pay heed to heavenly voices, they argue. The Torah was already given at Sinai, and it is not in the heavens. Lo b'shemaim hi. The Talmud uses our same verse from our Torah reading. Lo b'shemaim hi. Torah is not in the heavens. And the debate is over. The majority prevails. The oven is impure. And what's God's reaction? God laughs and says, My children have defeated me. My children have defeated me. So, granted, on the surface, this story is about a group of rabbis intensely fighting and performing miracles over a rare kitchen appliance. But I am always drawn to the startling image at the end of the story. God's laughter. Like a skilled teacher who takes pride in the accomplishments of her students, or an encouraging parent who watches his children grow and mature. God is delighted with the rabbis. What makes God happier than seeing Jews argue with each other? God gave them the tools of dialogue, of textual interpretation, and each other as partners. And now God has ceded a certain amount of control, of authority. Defeating God is not about denying God's existence. Defeating God, it is about the Holy One stepping back and making space for us to experiment with Torah. It is about the divine inspiring us to take responsibility for reading the text and applying it to our lives. There is a scene in the Woody Allen movie, Annie Hall, where Allen finds himself standing in a line at a theater behind an obnoxious man. Woody Allen sometimes thinks other men are obnoxious. He's standing in line behind an obnoxious man who is pontificating about the theories of a scholar, Marshall McLuhan. And Alan is so frustrated that this man claims to know so much about McLuhan that he immediately produces McLuhan in the flesh in the line at the theater. And McLuhan looks at the man and says, you don't know anything about my work. Many of us have had moments where we feel like Rabbi Eliezer or Woody Allen. We are debating something with family or friends or coworkers, and we know that we're right. They may not believe us, but whether it's the year that a movie was released or the name of a distant relative or an efficient way to load the dishwasher, we are definitely right. 
And we may even fantasize that a voice from heaven comes down and proclaims, just listen to what Carla's saying. She's right. (laughs) But these fictional moments of righteous justification are just that, fiction. The Talmud teaches us to remember, lo b'shamayim hi. It's not in the heavens. No tree or river is going to show us the way. No divine voice is going to come down from the clouds to tell us who is right and who is wrong. No writer is going to appear to set the record straight about their work. We have inherited Torah to struggle with it. It is up to us together as individuals and as a community to engage in debate, to interpret the text, and to create holiness in our lives. God wants us to make Torah our own. This thing is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart to do it. I feel in this community an enormous desire, a hunger for Jewishness. We are searching for meaning and connection to tradition and community. But I fear that we sometimes treat the rabbi like that hero of the pagan epic. We are waiting for him to go on a journey and bring Jewish wisdom back for us to absorb. Or we treat the rabbi like Rabbi Eliezer's heavenly voice, waiting for her to tell us the right and wrong of modern Jewish life. Writer Abigail Pergrebin recently chided, On high holidays, large numbers of American Reform and conservative Jews are inert spectators, expecting clergy to sprinkle atonement like fairy dust. I have been a rabbi for two years. I turned 30 earlier this week. And God willing, I am about to be a parent. I want to be your teacher, your facilitator, your guide, as do all of the amazing clergy at Emmanuel. But I will have failed. I will have failed if you can only do Jewish, only find Jewish meaning through and with me. We find meaning, we connect with what we feel ownership of, sustaining a long marriage, building a reputation, renovating a home, etc. We care about what we have struggled to understand, what we have worked hard to realize, and what we've even had to sacrifice for. Yet so often we can feel alienated from Judaism, disconnected from Torah. We are intimidated because we don't know the Hebrew, because we had some kind of traumatic experience as children in religious school, or because we felt excluded or marginalized at some point by a Jewish community. But our Torah reading responds to our fears and our insecurities. It reassures us Torah is close to all of us. It lives inside our mouths, and it lives inside our hearts and shapes the words of our mouths. We own it. So what does that ultimately mean? What does it look like to feel Torah and to have it close to us? 
It is the recent retiree who joins a Jewish book club and discovers a love of Israeli fiction. It is the couple who learn about Jewish wedding rituals together and decide to build their own chuppah that reflects their relationship. It's the 25-year-old Russian immigrant who studies for an adult bat mitzvah, the first in her family. It is the son who has just lost his mother to cancer and learns the Kaddish for the first time so he can say it at her funeral. It is different for each of us, but the unified vision is that we all feel like active participants rather than passive guests in our Jewish life, that we internalize Torah, and that the texts and rituals of our tradition infuse our lives. I recognize that this can be an intimidating charge. Judaism in our mouths and in our hearts is in many ways more difficult than if it were in the heavens. Sometimes it would be nice to have a superhero, one central religious authority, to give us all the answers and to make things black and white. When I read the initial draft of this sermon to my parents, my mother's first reaction was, you're making me feel so guilty. So I want to be clear, my mom's actually here today, I want to be clear that that is not my goal, at least not this morning. My goal is to empower and inspire you, not to make you feel guilty. This is an incredible opportunity, no matter what age or what stage of your Jewish life you are in. We can embrace the challenge and with it the infinite possibilities for a vibrant, creative, satisfying Jewish community of the 21st century. My husband David and I have been trying to decide on a name for our first child. From Barney to Hyman to Mordechai, we've been reviewing the male names in our respective family trees, searching for an ancestor to remember and honor. But we're also looking for a biblical name whose character resonates with us. And we want it to be easy enough to say that they won't be embarrassed on the first day of kindergarten. We're still working on it. But the point is that our Jewishness is infusing this important search. That we're looking to honor those who have come before us in our family, to connect to text, and also to just be American and merciful. I think that is why I ultimately found such power in this morning's Torah reading, in savoring the words and the metaphors. I feel that Torah, that Jewish tradition, has shaped who I am from the inside. But I also recognize that I can't just give you that gift I can't just make you experience that directly on my own. I can only inspire and empower you to find it for yourselves. We are our own heroes. Contemporary Jewish thinker Dr. Arnold Eisen teaches, I believe that when you or I take responsibility, take on the responsibilities of Israel's covenant as contemporary Jews, however we choose to do so, our ancestors stand with us. 
If we live Judaism seriously, we walk with the generations by our side. Someday in the distant future, if we fulfill the callings that we dedicate ourselves today, Jews of multiple varieties will live Judaism with and for us. We were all there. We all stood at Sinai. We all received Torah, the wisdom of our people, and lo b'shemaim he. It is not in the heavens. It is in our mouths, and it is in our hearts. It is our responsibility to take it and to use it to teach and inspire us and those that we care about. Not just me, not just him, not just her, but every one of us. It is on all of us to be our own Jewish heroes, to take on our Jewishness, to bring Torah into our lives, and to stand with our ancestors to help to create a foundation for future generations. Shana Tovah.